0: Physics world. Hello and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. In this episode, I'm joined by a physicist and author to talk about quantum mysticism, how heavy metal music can be used to teach quantum mechanics, and about the physics of the Canadian prog rock band Rush. The relationship between science and mysticism is probably as old as humanity itself. Indeed, it's really only in the modern era of science and technology that a clear distinction between the two has emerged. Today, some branches of science are seen as more mystic than others, and quantum physics leads the way when it comes to mystical interpretations, both by scientists and non-scientists alike. This has led to the concept of quantum woo, a derisory term for ideas that link quantum physics and mysticism. To talk about quantum woo, I'm joined down the line from the University of Nottingham by the physicist and author Philip Moriarty. Hi, Phil. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Hamish. Thanks so much for the invitation. Absolute delight to be here. We're going to have a chat about my favorite subject or one of my favorite subjects.
0: (laughs) And, and uh, uh, a spoiler, uh, towards the end, one of your famous prog rock bands. So stick around for that if you're interested uh, in, in the, in the uh, connections between physics and prog rock. But first, um, let's talk about Quantum Woo. So do you have a definition, Phil, about Quantum Woo? Because the, this is something that you've thought about.
1: I thought that you did a very, very good job in the introduction there, Hamish, in summing up all the issues with quantum rule. I guess it's a mishmash of quantum physics. I was about to say concepts, but it's not really even concepts, it's quantum physics memes. So things that are out there in the public consciousness about how quantum is meant to work, take that add a liberal dose of of mysticism and spirituality, as you said, um, give it a bit of a mix and throw in some wishful thinking. And that's pretty much quantum woo, I would say.
0: Okay. And uh, can you give a few examples of quantum woo? I mean, I'm guessing that... uh, the Sh- Sh- Schrodinger's cat and entanglement and all that sort of stuff comes in uh, to
1: play. It's interesting. I would say that Schrodinger's cat obviously was was put forward as 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 meant to be ridiculing um, aspects of quantum physics and particularly when we extend them to the, the the big bad world around us. Similarly, entanglement is a real thing, a very very much a, a definitive um, part of quantum physics. Some would say the very essence of quantum physics. I guess when I hear quantum Worry, though. I think of people like um, Fritjof Capra back in the 70s, the Tower of Physics. I think of people like Deepak Chopra. Uh, I think of people like Rhonda Byrne, whose name mightn't be so familiar, but there was something called The Secret. Um, and Oprah Winfrey had Rhonda Byrne on at least once, maybe a number of times, and really pushed. Um, Burns book, which she says there's a secret out there, and the secret really is, spoiler coming, is that because quantum physics, we're all interconnected, therefore we can change the universe with our minds. And if you think good thoughts, good things will come to you. That's essentially the secret with a lot of quantum um, woo on top to to, to give it that sort of veneer of scientific credibility. I think of people like... um, Gwyneth Paltrow from a much more topical uh, example and in in particular somebody she works with uh, called John Amaral who again claims that using different aspects of quantum energy fields whatever they might be that he can tap into and connect with people in a myriad of ways and improve their lives immensely. So that's what I think of it's not so much the physics side it's really the the popularization of quantum ideas in a very spiritual, mystical um, environment—that's that's really what I think about when I hear the term quantum root.
0: So, so is it really just sort of randomly inserting the word quantum into uh, a, a mystical concept, or or have some people actually taken genuine quantum concepts like entanglement, for example, and sort of stretched them? into mysticism
1: they have and um we might talk about this a little bit later on but um i think we physicists have an awful you know gotta really take a lot of the blame here because we have not been careful when we've been defining um concepts like entanglement or describing concepts like entanglement schrodinger's cat um sort of the the question of just the universal wave function, as it were, all these types of ideas, when you look through popular science books, when you look through things like New Scientists or Scientific American, and you look at some of the things that we physicists have said about how consciousness couples to the, the physical world, for example, when there isn't a scrap of evidence for any of those claims, I have... I think we are being unfair if we then point the finger at people like Chopra and Rhonda Byrne and and Amaral and Gwyneth Paltrow and say, well, look at these silly people. How could they ever get these ideas? The reason they've got these ideas is that we physicists have not been been careful enough. I'll not name names. I could name names later on, but um, (laughs) there are some very, very good physicists who have said some very striking things on the basis of absolutely no evidence at all.
0: And, and Phil, why do you think people are attracted to a, a sort of a mashup of science and mysticism? Do, does it belie a, a genuine interest in science um, that, that's somehow gone off the rails or, or gone wrong?
1: It's an ex- really interesting question in terms of the psychology of what's going on here. There's obviously a sort of religious element to this and I guess science, science really isn't about certainty, but a lot of people think it is. In fact, science really is about dealing with uncertainty. But the popular idea is, well, you know, science is about proof. Science is about this is the way the world is. And there's something very comforting about that. And, you know, particularly right now, at this point in the 21st century, with so many existential and personal crises going on, it's it's very comforting to think, well, I can have certainty. And if quantum physics tells me this, if quantum physics tells me I can control and connect with the universe, that's really comforting. And you can see as a, um, as a replacement almost for more traditional religion, you can see perhaps as we, at least in some areas of the globe, as we grow a little bit more secular, you can see how something with a bit more of a scientific bias can come in and, and sort of usurp traditional religion. But it's, I think there's many PhD theses to be written on this subject.
0: <laughs> so, Phil, do you encounter quantum woo in your capacity as a physics professor? Does it come up in the lecture hall or during professional interactions with the wider public?
1: Uh, It doesn't come up in the lecture hall, mercifully. Um, A couple of students, a number of students are obviously interested in things like the many worlds interpretation and the broader philosophical ramifications of quantum physics. And so we certainly discuss those type of things. But I've not come across somebody who's a fully paid up member of the Quantum Roo Club. Let's put it like that. That's in the lecture theater. I've done things like skeptics in the pub, range of different um, public talks. And yes, uh, there's certainly been queries and questions at the at the end. Am I not being too dismissive? Really, do scientists don't know everything. How do you know that it mightn't be like this? And of course, there's an infinite number of things that it might be like. Um, so yes, it it comes up. I guess where it really. Um, up quite a bit of my time was when we did a video for the 60 Symbols um, channel. Uh, that's a collaboration between ourselves here at Nottingham and a guy called Brady Harran, who's runs a number of popular YouTube channels: Number File, Computer File, and some, this 60 Symbols channel. And we did a video where we for want of a better word, critiqued an episode of Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop Lab on the subject of energy. And as part of <laughs> a, a, wow. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, and you can imagine how fun that was. And <laughs> yeah. as, as part of that, well, actually a major part, a major element of that particular episode was an energy healer, a quantum energy healer, a guy called John Amaral. And uh, he, a guy I referred to earlier on who claims that he can connect with quantum energy fields and really influence um, people, not just on a spiritual level, but on a physical level. And he was waving his hands over them, connecting with these fields, and they were moving. And some of them described it as like having an exorcism. So again, there's another example of where we scientists could point our finger and go, oh, look at this foolish guy. He really, you know, he's a snake oil salesman. He's a charlatan. All the types of of, um, disparaging remarks that are usually fired off at these people. So he emailed me after that video was uploaded and we did our critique of him and and Gwyneth's Goop Lab stuff. He emailed me and it was a really uh, very... Polite and very constructive email. And then a few weeks later, we had another exchange of emails. And then during the lockdown, one of the lockdowns, we had a Zoom call, an hour where we we talked to each other. And uh, I don't think... He's a snake oil salesman at all. I, you know, he's obviously making a lucrative living—something like five thousand pound per session, five thousand dollars per session. He's with all the a-listers. Um, Harry of Meghan and Harry fame mentions him in his in that book that what was it called spare spare the oh really yeah. oh, i did, yeah. didn't didn't realize Amaral's, there was
0: quantum woo in spare yeah well john, <laughs>
1: john amerald's mentioned i don't quite know why i I've, i regret to say i haven't read spare i don't have it on my <laughs> list of books that i will be reading anytime soon so if you want to read through it if you want to take the hit for the rest of us here read through <laughs> it and try and find the link to john amerald but anyway he's interacted with um a range of a list celebrities let's put it that way But the feeling I get from him, and maybe I'm just incredibly naive and gullible, but if I am, he's an incredibly good actor. But the feeling I get from him is that he genuinely believes there's something here. He genuinely believes he's helping people. And he refers me back to statements that have been made by apparently authoritative physics figures well, they said this. They said the universe is affected by our consciousness. And if you go back through many different references, you find lots of suggestions of that. So if they're saying it, and they're obviously very good physicists, why can't I say it? And the, I think if we are really going to try and put across what's wrong with quantum woo and what's wrong with the... Um, the sort of more mystical elements of it and why there's no empirical evidence at all, then I think adopting an approach whereby we ridicule people is never the best thing to do. I think we want to do something a little bit more constructive and, and try and talk to them. I know in these days of social media warfare um, that talking to people rather than shouting at them is not the done thing, but I think we really need to do that.
0: And Phil, you're not the only uh, person who's interested in uh, quantum woo. The Australian physicist Chris Ferry has uh, has come out with a new book, and and you reviewed that book for Physics World. And b- b- before we start talking about this book, the uh, here's a bit of a warning for the audience: there is a lot of. Um, sort of very ripe language, if I can put it that way, um, in this book. Some, some four-letter words, etc. Um, we're, we're, we're not going to be gratuitous about them, <laughs> uh, about using them, I hope. But uh, just a warning uh, to listeners, if, if you're not uh, comfortable with four-letter words, you might want to uh, uh, turn your radio <laughs> down or, or, or even stop listening. But the book is called Quantum Bullshit. How to Ruin Your Life with Advice from Quantum Physics. So, uh, Phil, what, what's the point of, of Ferry's book? Is he, is he making fun of, uh, of quantum woo, or uh, is he perhaps doing what, what you've suggested we should do, uh, engaging? And uh, is there an educational element
1: there's definitely an educational element. I would say he's being disparaging. I wouldn't say he's attempting to reach across the aisles and connect with the quantum woo contingent. It's a very um, sweary book. Um, so being being Irish, I can, instead of using the bad F word, I can use the, the, the other F word that we commonly use over there. So, for example, chapter one is called, I've got it here. Actually, you can hear me flicking through the pages. Quantum, chapter one is called quantum fecking energy. <laughs> chapter two is called fecking matter waves. <laughs> chapter three is called we have no fecking clue what is going on, etc., etc. And the, um, the swearing is indeed gratuitous, but it's no less funny for being extremely gratuitous. And it's, it's great. I really enjoyed this book. I give it a pretty positive review. I think it's fair to say, enthusiastic review in Physics World. He really shoots down. As a physicist, it's, of course, we get this warm, fuzzy feeling when we see all this, this woo and pseudoscience being shot down. So he shoots down all the different aspects. To be fair to him, knowing he in line with what I said um, just a couple of minutes ago, let me read a, um, just a paragraph from the the right at the start of the book, where which is titled "What the Feck is this book?" question mark And then towards the end of that intro, there's a really good paragraph here. Again, making sure that we physicists accept or share of the blame here. I'll I'll quote from Ferris. So now we are stuck with this perception endorsed by experts. The quantum physics is mysterious. Hmm, wait a minute. You know what else is mysterious? Love, success, luck, health. Who will win the Super Bowl? Enter the charlatans. It's an easy argument. Love is mysterious, and so is quantum physics. Therefore, they are the same. And <laughs> there is a big element of that. For example, we don't understand quans- consciousness. We don't understand quantum physics. Ipso facto, there must be a link between consciousness and quantum physics. Sometimes that's the level of, th- of thought process we have. And again, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone else. If you want to talk about quantum physics in a, in a public um, arena... You tend to go to go down the oh wow quantum physics wow route. It's like it's weird, it's wacky, it's esoteric. We don't know what's going on. Um, the things are entangled. Things can be in multiple places at once. Isn't that amazing? And that's how we've tended to sell it. And there's a value in doing that. And there's a value in enthusing people about it. But we have to put in the provisors. The one aspect of quantum. Uh, mechanics and quantum physics that really winds me up is when the many worlds interpretation is presented as sort of as well this is the interpretation this is how the universe works there are these infinite realities out there and that's how it works because experts say when of course the many worlds interpretation is one of i don't know what this count what the, what are the 50 different interpretations of quantum mechanics and we have no way we have no empirical evidence for to select one above the other. There's absolutely no empirical evidence for those, you know, alternate realities. So, and often when physicists are presenting that, I won't, some physicists, I won't mention names again, they present it as, well, this is, you know, this is not controversial. This is the way that the universe works. And that's really frustrating and really damaging, I would say.
0: And uh, you, you mentioned the, the many universe theory. Could, could, could you explain that, um, Phil, actually? Because I, d- I don't think um, some of our listeners will be familiar
1: with it. Sure. So we need to distinguish between two things. There's, there's multiverse theory and there's many-worlds theory. The many-worlds theory stems from a guy called Everett and is a quantum mechanical, an interpretation of quantum mechanics. The multiverse, however, is the idea that, you know, at the moment of creation, there were lots and lots of universes created and were one bubble universe out of many, 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 many others. That's distinct, I would say, from many worlds interpretation. And often that distinction is lost as well. But the many worlds interpretation is that um, one of the key aspects of quantum mechanics, of course, is that it's uh, probability driven and when uh, you have a couple of different options, or a number of different options, or indeed even an infinite number of different options or possibilities, that when we make a measurement, we say that the you know, that we say that the wave function, which describes that mixture of probabilities, collapses to a distinct to a distinct probability. The many-worlds interpretation tries to get round the measurement problem by saying, well, actually, although in this universe we see the, the this particular outcome at that moment of measurement, all these different other universes um, also exist in parallel, where there are different outcomes. So the probabilities are spread across a wide range of different, in fact, technically an infinite number of different different universes. That's ultimately the Um, my rather poor (laughs) explanation of the many worlds interpretation. But as an experimental physicist, what really frustrates and indeed infuriates me is that There's no empirical evidence. Indeed, those other universes, to use the technical term, decohere from our own so rapidly that the possibility of even having any evidence at all for those other universes is slim, exceedingly slim, to put it mildly. So then we really are in the realms of religion. If we've got no empirical evidence for something, yet we're saying that it exists and it has to exist because that's what our theories say. You know, you're not if you're doing theories without empirical evidence. You're not really doing science. You're doing mathematics.
0: And so, Phil, um, you know, you're not a big fan of, of quantum woo, but I, I think you would agree in saying that it's a good idea to get the public interested in quantum physics and and to give the public a, a sort of a general understanding. Of, of how the quantum world works, because I suppose it's it's so important uh, in, in modern technology. Um, and, and you've written a book that brings together the worlds of heavy metal music and quantum mechanics, I suppose, uh, as a way of doing that. Um, so, so did you avoid quantum woo in your in your book about heavy metal music and and quantum mechanics? And how do you continue to avoid it in your outreach activities?
1: I didn't actually. I tackled it pretty much head on. Uh, Chopra and a few others are mentioned in that uh, book that you very helpfully plugged. Thanks for thanks for that, Mr. call When the uncertainty principle goes to eleven, and. I think that's what we have to do. We have to acknowledge that it's out there. We have to be wary of ridiculing people, as I said, for if that's what they believe. And they say, well, other physicists have said this. Who are you to suggest otherwise? I think we've got to take that on board. We've got to take that on the chin. But we've got to try and explain just where the holes are without belittling people. And sometimes that's difficult. Moreover, we've also got to accept that, you know, Um, I'm a physicist. I'm an educator. I work in a university. The mantra for the the, the teacher is always education, education, education. As long as we educate people, then we can make sure that, you know, we can dispel ignorance and everything will be great. It's not how it works. You know, some of the most some really, really smart people are um, very much skeptical, to put it mildly, of the evidence for climate change, for example. How do you convince those people just telling them, well, you need to be educated? It's not going to work. They are educated. So again, it's a question of trying to reach across the aisles a little bit more and think about if we can't connect at the scientific level, what other level can we connect with on a musical level, on a sports level, whatever. Um, And and hence, that's one of the rationales behind that book is... um, some piece. So lots of people out there think that physics is not for them and maths isn't for them. And that's for, for a range of different reasons. Sometimes, and it's depressing to hear this so often, it's because at school they had a really poor maths teacher, or a really poor physics teacher, and they just, you know, just didn't connect with it, I've gotta point out that however, there are many many great physics and maths teachers out there. Some of my best friends are physics and maths teachers and it's it's a tough, tough job but um then oh, the the interesting thing is then well, how do you connect with those people? How do you bring them in and make them uh, get them to see that the science really is exciting? Well, connect with something that they're into. And in my case, I, in terms of reaching across the aisle, in terms of not preaching to the converted and reaching a wider audience, for me, I'm a big music fan. That's the way to do it. We look for links between music and and quantum physics, and we sell the package that way. And, um, yeah, that, that, I think that's worked out reasonably well with that book. I've, I've had quite a few um, emails from people who've read it and who got in touch and said, well, I just, I never thought quantum physics would be for me, but I've really enjoyed seeing those links with music. And um, it's made sense of some of the aspects of quantum physics that I thought I'd never um, never get to grips with. So, yeah.
0: So, so what do you look at in, in, in the book, Phil? I mean, uh, is, is it sort of a, at a basic level? You know, for example, music, sound is a wave. <laughs> and um b- b- people perhaps understand how so- sound waves work and then you can use that to uh to teach people something about quantum physics is that i mean is that something that you look at
1: that's exactly it for the slightly more technically minded and for those who remember their physics degrees if they've done a physics degree it's largely lots and lots of fourier analysis in disguise so it's yeah as you said Um, Sound, music is all about waves and how waves interact and different frequency ranges and how we modify those different frequencies. Quantum mechanics at core is a theory of waves, wave mechanics. And uh, particularly for my research, in terms of the day job, my research involves using an instrument called a scanning probe microscope that allows us to probe um, right down to the single atom and actually right down to the single molecule on submolecular level and we see, for example, electron waves at surfaces, scattered off steps and defects at the surfaces on a day-to-day basis. When you see those waves sort of on a screen in front of you, it's very hard not to be drawn towards the waves, sort of wave mechanics um, side of the fence when it comes to quantum mechanics. So there's two broad churches of thinking. In terms of quantum mechanics is wave mechanics and something called matrix mechanics and all the quantum information and quantum computing people love the matrix mechanics side of things and you know they're, they're equivalent um they're all in terms of their interpretation they're pretty much equivalent but it's just different ways of looking at exactly the same physics for me it's always the wave side of the the quantum physics coin that draws me in and yeah, that's what the book's all about. It's about drawing those links between wave mechanics and and the physics of sound waves.
0: And, and Phil, you mentioned quantum computing. Um, I mean, I think it's safe to say that 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 quantum mechanics is enjoying a, a renaissance at the moment. Um, I suppose it's technologically driven in the sense that uh, that physicists have created some amazing devices, quantum devices, that they can really put quantum theory to the test in ways that that hasn't been possible before and people are developing quantum computers quantum sensors and other quantum technologies do, do you think that that is that sort of driving an interest in quantum woo or is it possible that it, it's having the opposite effect that that quantum is sort of becoming a mainstream technology and maybe some of the mystery and mysticism is, is is sort of evaporating now that we can you know sort of build a qubit a and and play around with it
1: that's a great question uh, Hamish I'm just mulling that over I don't think it's the I don't think it's yet the case that we're at that particular point in time. I, I, I hope that day is coming when we get to a point where sort of quantum computing, quantum information is so um, prevalent that, that really all the sort of mystical sheen is washed off the quantum physics. I don't think we're there yet. And actually, a very good example of why we're not there yet is there's somebody called Michio Kaku, who you might be familiar with his most recent book is called quantum supremacy there is a wonderful guy who's been at the heart of a lot of quantum information developments and is a really great public communicator really great um, communicator of the aspects of of, of quantum information quantum community a guy called scott aronson
0: oh yeah yeah
1: yeah so scott is 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 well worth visiting his blog so i uh, yesterday I read the most recent blog post from Scott Aronson, which is an absolute mauling of Michio Kaku's book. Uh, the, the title of the post is something like, TLDR, do not buy this book. Uh, <laughs> and Ka- Kaku does have form when it comes to Quantum Woo. And that's, I've, I said I wasn't going to name names, but he I'm going to make an exception for him. <laughs> the, he does come out with the most incredible nonsense. And I think it sells books. It really does sell books. And if you, you know, understanding quantum information, understanding quantum computing is really takes a lot of effort it's much easier to read something which goes why 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 isn't this amazing why why we can you know have multiple universes we can exist in parallel realities we can have all those science fiction elements in there you can see which is going to sell more but i think you're right the more that this technology develops and becomes part of people's lives and they realize you know it's is as big as, as ubiquitous in the future, hopefully, as you know, a mobile phone or a microwave. Once it's embedded in our lives like that, then yes, I would agree and hope that the mysticism will um, tend to decay off a little bit.
0: Thanks for mentioning Scott Aronson, because, uh, um, you know, I think my very limited understanding of, of quantum computing uh, comes from, you know, reading his blogs. Um, he's, he, he has a great way of explaining things and and tackling uh, topics, so yeah, Scott Aronson is at U- University of Texas.
1: It is indeed is that where yeah. he's at at the yeah. moment.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, if you're interested in quantum technologies and 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 have a sort of a, a, a sane explanation of what's going on in a in a field, I think that's very overhyped. Scott Aronson is is your person. Absolutely. So finally, Phil, a, a, as a Canadian who grew up in the 1970s. I think I'm compelled or maybe even required by federal Canadian law to end this interview with a discussion of the physics of the rock band Rush, (laughs) who I think you're a a big fan of. Um, Rush, of course, uh, emerged uh, in uh, Toronto um, in the 1970s. And um, sadly, uh, the drummer Neil Peart died a few years ago. So I'm guessing that the band is no more.
1: But uh, c-
0: c- can you tell us something about the physics of Rush? Uh,
1: uh, thank you so much for raising Rush. Rush, have, um, are my favorite band, in fact, one of the very first rock albums I heard was something called All the World's a Stage, which is a live album from 1976. And um, the singer's vocals, Geddy Lee's vocals, are absolutely in the stratosphere. It's, no, it's incredible. He sings notes higher than... Any human ever could. And uh, it's always been a source of disappointment to me that there aren't more people like Geddy Lee in terms of the the, the vocal gymnastics. But um, yeah, I'm a massive fan of Rush. As I was saying before we started recording, uh, there was a conference in Toronto a number of years back. And I'm such a massive Rush nerd that I held on to the luggage tag because it has the letters YYZ on it, which is the name of a Rush song. Um, and they based it on the call sign of Toronto, Toronto Airport. Rush feature not infrequently in that, that book you mentioned there, the Insightly Goes <laughs> to <surprisingly>. 11 book. <laughs> not surprising. They even have a song called Natural Science. So Rush really have very, how can I put it, syncopated, almost mathematical rhythms. They're, they're, they're very famous for being off kilter. I've met an awful lot of science Um, scientists science fans physicists who are heavily into rush there's something very intriguing about prog rock the patterns in prog rock and what do all scientists do well we search for patterns i guess if we're broadly defining what you know what does a scientist do as i used to say when i go out to, to sort of primary schools and so, what does the it's a scientist use to search for patterns? And I think there's something about those patterns and those syncopations in prog rock and bands like Rush, King Crimson, um, Ge- early Genesis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that really connects to the the, the scientist's um, way of thinking. I would say so. Yeah, Rush has always been a huge influence in my life. Um, so, natural science is one aspect. i having a song called Natural Science. Um, the, there's clearly links directly there with physics. They also play around with harmonics a great deal. I make a great deal of this in the book. So Rush, um play natu- a number of songs are based around and a number of the riffs um, are based around natural harmonics on a guitar, and harmonics linked directly to the particle in a box model that we cover in first-year quantum mechanics. So there's a really direct link there from <laughs> first-year quantum mechanics to Red Barchetta. song two track two side one and that really dates me of moving pictures rush's best album and um yeah so also that yyz thing they they use morse code for yyz and the rhythm at the start that sort of introduces the song that comes from an interpretation of morse code so i've just very recently lifted that idea we did and hopefully the video will be uploaded within the next week or so um, we did a quantum metal song called shut up and calculate and uh, there are certain inspirations from rush in there the idea with this one is that we'll put the song out there and the idea hopefully is that the 60 symbols audience will find the links between the rhythms, the the riffs, the lyrics, and the underpinning quantum physics for themselves. So we'll see how that goes. Thank you for raising Rush, Miss.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, Phil. I mean, I, uh, you know, as, as a Canadian growing up in the 70s, I did listen to Rush, um, quite a bit, and um, I have to say that the, the 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 one connection between Russian science that I'm aware of is 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 actually rather disappointing. It's an example of where of well where, where Neil Pierce, I think he's he's the lyricist, isn't he? Yes, has, mostly, has got. Yeah has got the science completely wrong now it has nothing to do with physics it's actually botany and there's a song i'm sure you'll be familiar with it called the trees oh of I course it's yeah, yeah, the yeah, trees. Yeah, yeah 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 and um it, it it's very problematic because the the idea behind the trees is that um that the, there's a forest let's assume it's in <laughs> southern ontario where you know i and rush grew up um, and it's about maple trees complaining to the oak trees mm-hmm. that they're not getting enough sunlight, and um, you know I'm sure there's the, there, there's some there's sort of trouble allegory. in the
1: forest. There's unrest with the trees. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. But 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 the problem the problem with this is that um, maples. Uh, especially young maple trees, uh, uh, are incredibly shade tolerant, right? <laughs> They're basically designed to grow in the shade of oak trees. And so the maple trees wouldn't be complaining. They would be basically growing like crazy
1: in the How shade. How interesting.
0: And they would be actually at some point shade out the oaks because um you know in the 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 forest that once grew where toronto is today the the maples are what is called the climax species they're the species that shade everything else out so i'm afraid that that rush guy. Oh, they should have gone with that because with the so, uh, so the maples <laughs>
1: formed a union and demanded equal rights, and then they were all hacked down, and that's how the equal rights were. Uh, it's interesting because I've always I've always interpreted that as an allegory for the U.S. versus Canada. And ah, so right. the oak trees were the U.S. Now, um, Peart claims otherwise. He claims that it was just a story about trees, but he's, ah, he right. usually builds metaphor and allegory and allusion into his, his lyrics quite a bit. So I don't know. Um, I'm a but little nobody, bit skeptical. But then it has would be anybody great. anybody ever
0: challenged him on the, on because, you know, he's, I mean, I think he's probably more than 10 years older than me. But, you know, the, the, the fact that maples are shade tolerant, is something that we learned in high school you know we learned it in in physical geography in high school so i'm you know i'm guessing did, did he study the same curriculum uh, maybe he didn't yeah maybe he didn't
1: no i've but, never interpreted but, but that wouldn't it be great if he'd actually built that in because then the maples win out that's even better do, yeah yeah well they do
0: yeah yeah they do yeah
1: <laughs> but thank it, yeah you it, it, i've been educated thank you <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i mean it's still a great song and it's uh, oh, it always yeah. a fantastic band yeah and I, you, you know you, you're talking about the connection between physics and uh, rush i've only uh, incredibly i've only seen rush once and that was when i was living in the uk it was a few years ago and they played in in birmingham maybe you were there phil as what well. year
1: was it uh, I almost certainly was. Um, oh,
0: I, I can't remember, but the, but the thing is, I went with two uh, colleagues from Institute of Physics Publishing, so um, there is a, definitely a, a physics contingent.
1: From absolutely, Bristol. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant.
0: Well, that's great, Phil. Thanks so much um, for coming on the podcast. You can read Phil's review of Quantum Bullshit on the Physics World website. Just look for the headline Beyond the Quantum Wooniverse getting to grips with the fundamentals of quantum mechanics. And Phil's book on the connections between music and physics is called When the Uncertainty Principle Goes to 11, and is that published by, is it Ben Bella Books? It is Is indeed.
1: I'm also writing another book for Ben Bella at the moment, or meant to be writing another book for Ben Bella at the moment on um, how do magnets work. In fact, I Ah. wanted, that's exactly the title I wanted you to, let's get back to the swearing theme. I wanted to call the book um, Magnets How Do They Effing Work, which is a meme and also a song lyric, but unfortunately I wasn't allowed to go with that. (laughs) Well, good
0: I mean, good luck with that one Phil, I mean, I, I did my PhD on magnetic materials, and I, I still don't know how they work. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's all a mystery <laughs> good, to me too. <laughs> good luck, good good luck explaining that. And yeah, look, we look forward to uh, to when that's published and uh, get you back on the podcast to talk about it. Thanks, Phil.
1: Thanks, Amish. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Last week,
0: I had the pleasure of moderating a webinar panel session that looked at the future of computer technology beyond the current era of ever-shrinking silicon transistors as defined by Moore's Law. Called More Than Moore, the webinar featured three panelists working in neuromorphic computing, a field that seeks to create information processing systems that are like the human brain. We were also joined by a physicist who believes that quantum computing will play a role in the information processing of the future. It was a lively and fascinating discussion, and I learned a lot about both neuromorphic and quantum computing. You can watch the webinar free of charge, and you can find it on the Physics World website. The easiest way to get there is to put more than more physics world in your favorite search engine, and it should pop up immediately. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Phil Moriarty for joining me today, and a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week when we'll be celebrating Women in Engineering Day. Physics World